Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. The most dangerous phrase in our language is we've always done it this way. There are an awful lot of posers out there. People that do lean because they're mandated to do it. They think it will work. How stable are you today? What are your goals? Are you generating small, simple improvements? There are very few people that embrace lean with their full heart, head, and emotion. Let's imagine that your current output is top-notch. Is that enough to stop innovating and stop reaching for more? Patrick's book uncovers the essence of what those organizations look like and what the posers look like. Caution, are you in the fake zone or the real zone? Hey, welcome everybody. Today's guest is David Mann, and David has over 25 years of consulting on lean and lean management implementations in a wide range of manufacturing, healthcare, enterprise business processes, and extended value change. He's an implementer, a consultant, a coach, and a teacher. Uh, and he's also the author of one of my favorite lean books, which has also won the Shingo Prize. David's book is titled Creating a Lean Culture. David, I have recommended your book out to multiple clients. I love your book. I love from a from a cultural standpoint, it's it's probably my go-to. So I, I just want to say thank you for putting it out there and welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Happy to be here. Well, David, let's start, if you don't mind, let's start with your book. I'm curious to hear uh, just about what led you to, to writing Creating a Lean Culture. Uh, well, so I was working at Steelcase. This would have been in the late uh, 1980s. That's right. It's a long, it's a long time ago. <laughs> um, and uh, Steelcase is a large, is a large manufacturer. Uh, we're located, uh, or Steelcase is located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, and in Michigan, uh, the, uh, the hometown industry is automotive. Uh, Steelcase was running a classic batch and queue mass production uh, operating system, manufacturing system, and wanted to upgrade it. And so reached out to a group of uh, Toyota trained and ex-Toyota engineers uh, at the University of Michigan College of Engineering. Uh, the team was led by John Shook, who was the first American that uh, Toyota hired before they moved manufacturing to uh, California. So uh, John and his team had a, gr a great deal of experience uh, with the uh, sort of the mother load of lean. And uh, they wanted to see if what they had learned in the high volume, low variety manufacturing environment of automotive, if that would work in the high variety, wildly varying volume of uh, manufacturing office furniture. Mm. And so uh, one of our guys reached out to them and they said, sure, we'll, we'll basically we'll test and see if what we learned in the auto industry applies more broadly. Mm. So they, they came to help us and they were absolutely what you would expect. They were extremely competent, very sharp and, and focused on putting in place the, the tools, um, the industrial engineering tools that uh, had worked so well for them in, um, in automotive. Mm. 
they would uh, form a project team. Uh, there were, it was a broad territory, first of all. There were, sure. at the time, a dozen plants in uh, in our immediate area, a dozen steel case plants. Mm-hmm. So there were lots of places to try out, you know, will this really work? And the the experience was that the uh, that when the project team finished their design and turned the keys, as it were, back over to the production superintendents and the and the plant staff, these smooth running, lean implementations completely fell apart. Mm. They just they just stopped working. And uh, I was one of just a small handful of people, uh, three or four that were responsible for supporting um, the the lean work that that was going into the plant. Okay. So I had uh, I had this is the best job I ever had. I got to I had been involved in in uh, in preparing supervisors to lead their their uh, uh, the people in their departments through the trans uh, the transition, mm-hmm. which from the point of view of a shop floor person. Uh, meant that their pay system was changing from what it had been for 75 years in the company, mm. uh, which was piece rate. Mm-hmm. That is, the more inventory you made, the more money you made. Right. That was, the, that was the, you know, it was set up that way to a day rate. And and as you might imagine, that was a very big deal. So I, I spent a bunch of times with supervisors. So I'd, I'd go out, I'd spend my time going out and talking to the supervisors and walking the floor and looking to see like what what happened here my colleagues the other two the other three people that were working on this at the time were uh they were from engineering and manufacturing and they were trying to puzzle out what the technical issues were that caused these implementations to fall apart i'm trained as a social scientist so i was out looking at trying to understand what the behavior was that was Mm -hmm. causing these problems. And it turned out that that through no fault of their own, our Toyota coaches had learned at the the knee of Toyota, which was use these tools, use these tools, use these tools. Mm -hmm. These are the tools that industrial engineers have known about for, you know, since before Henry Ford's time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and And the tools, when they're competently applied, pretty much always work. What I found was that, uh, and so this is this is my supposition, that the, the Toyota trained, uh, these were all guys at the time, the mm-hmm. Toyota trained guys had had really focused on, on the tools. They were all engineers by training. Toyota's approach was an engineering approach. That's what, that's what they um, were able to, to, to verbalize in their teaching. Uh, and this, the human side uh, was not there. Hmm. It was just put the tools in, use the tools, the tools always work. And there was a, a lot of discomfort on the part of uh, these uh, long-experienced manufacturing supervisors. They probably had, you know, 15 or 20 years on average working in, uh, in manufacturing supervision. They knew, they knew the system very well, mm-hmm. the, the old system, if you will, and... Uh, and they they simply weren't comfortable with the with what these tools were. Uh, the, well, it, the 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 stories are are long and and interesting, but uh, a little bit too long for our conversation. Uh, they what happened is they they when the projects team project teams left uh, and the and the new designs were running, the supervisors reverted um, to what they knew, 
taking people off balance lines to chase parts. Sure. They had learned long ago that the worst thing you can do as a production supervisor is run out of parts. So they would uh, more or less cheat the system mm-hmm. and go back to producing lots and lots of inventory. And within within a few days, the balance and the and the um, the rhythm, the context uh, of the of the new design of these lean designs would it would just fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and so uh, it wasn't that people were rebelling. It's it's that it it became clear that that they didn't really know what to do in this new environment. Sure. Other than uh, what they knew about dealing with people, which they were very good, very good at doing. So um, it did not, um, our team couldn't find any technical problems, mm-hmm. but there, the problems were in the, in the, uh, the behavior and the habits right. uh, of the supervisors. Uh, and we had not given them the tools for the supervisors to use to keep the lean tools running smoothly. So uh, there was a there was a, that gap between the technical and uh, and you know from my perspective the the cultural mm-hmm. um, that's sort of the the implicit how how do things work around here um, that we had to focus on. So through trial and error over a period of several years walking the floors and the plants, spending time with uh, with the people with uh, uh, with uh, the managing. Uh, management staff in the plant. Uh, we developed through trial and error, basically, um, this set of of tools that would make the the process visible and the status of the pros- of the process visual as well. I remember walking the floor uh, with one of our our lean sensei, Merrick Pietkowski, okay, who uh, had been responsible for. Uh, Toyota Corolla production in Canada uh, early on, and uh, Merrick was uh, uh, would would mumble half under his breath as we walked through the floor. What is the process? What is mm-hmm. the process? And it, it took me a while to understand what Merrick was talking about. Mm-hmm. But the 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 process part was what had been unspoken in the um, coaching that we got from the car Toyota experts. Sure. And so that was something that we, you know, worked on filling in. Right. And David, you mentioned the, the Toyota experts uh, a little bit earlier. And just again, I'm, I'm actually curious. I, obviously, I love the story and I, I want to hear how that obviously then turned into the, the topics that came into your creating a lean culture book. Uh, but I, I'm also curious to hear a little bit more about the Toyota experts that came into your plant and worked with you. And you said that that they were, you know, just what just what you thought they would be. Right. So can you can you just tell us just a little bit more about what that means exactly? Like what were the characteristics that you you found, uh, you know, and what were the the challenges that they gave you, or or how did you feel when they would come into the plant and when they would leave and things like that? It was, in some respects, it was like they had X-ray vision, right? Like <laughs> Superman, sure. where they walk in, look at you know, look at a process, and uh, you know, sometimes they they just shake their heads, and then they and what they would do is they would ask us questions, mm-hmm. um, and the and the us in in this case didn't really i mean the 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 people that they were focused on were the people that they sh- that they was appropriate to focus on and that sure. was people who were um who were responsible for for guiding the work 
the, the people in positions of uh, managerial responsibility at every level from mm-hmm. the from the frontline supervisor um, to the uh, to the plant manager to the manufacturing executive and uh, that so that's what they would do that was the the Socratic method that they had learned that you hear about or read about uh, when you're when you're studying the the um, the Toyota production system. The focus is not to tell people what to do. The focus is to ask them questions that lead them to think. It's a. It is. Um, it's very much like the rounds that uh, uh, that medical students go on. Mm. Uh, they, you know, a, a group of students will walk up to the bedside of a, wherever they are, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and the teacher will begin asking students, you know, what do you see here? What do you think it means? What would you do? And the uh, manufacturing guys, uh, <laughs> if, the, if the answer wasn't, wasn't the right answer, they would let you know in a, in a gentle but pointed way. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Oh, Merrick, Merrick would, would mimic his Toyota teacher uh, from the Corolla plant in Canada. Oh, Merrick, no good. <laughs> so it was sort of that it was it was that uh, that socratic method that brought you to see more deeply so it's a master apprentice mode of teaching that's mm-hmm. that's what rounding is that's what that's what the the coaching was that we got from from the toyota experts we had to come to see with our own eyes um what they saw the sort of the classic um objective of a gimbal walk is is to learn to see what your teacher sees right and that's that's the approach they took. Uh, they were, you know, and they were they were they were good at it. Uh, mm-hmm. These this was a, a consulting operation, mm-hmm. and if you don't want your client to become so frustrated with you that they say don't come back, right, right. So, so, so they were very good at this. They were trained by masters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I love I love it, and and hearing the story of how you were impacted at Steelcase and and just them coming in and you know on how frequently did they come in what what was the what was the frequency over and you said this was over a period of years yeah the the main i would say they would be in depending on the on the on the phase of work in a in a given plant mm-hmm. uh, they might be in you know every day for a week okay uh, and maybe every week for a, a couple of months sure uh, and and so coming in really doing the intensive work with the the intensive teaching is mm-hmm. is really what they were doing occasionally working on some of the technical um aspects with with one of our technical people sure for example uh, developing an application program that would calculate uh, kanban replenishment quantities mm. for a shared resource supporting multiple value streams where the resource may have been um, a thousand ton press and change over time was what it was going to be just because of the scale of the thing down to uh, much smaller pieces of equipment that you could change over like that. Mm-hmm. So, so they worked on um, at that level and they also worked on, you know, what, how do you, how do you look at this assembly cell and understand uh, when it's running well and, and when it isn't. Very nice. That's great. Uh, and, and so let's go back to uh, the, the lean culture, creating a lean culture in the book that you wrote. How, how did you develop the ideas of the lean culture? Obviously, this happened over time, but can you just kind of 
give us a picture of what those concepts are and how you develop them, you know, over that, over that period of time? Mm -hmm. So I was learning at the, really at the same time everybody else was learning. Sure. And I'd go out to see what I could see. And, and what I saw was people who were, had a great deal of pride in what they did. They'd been doing it both uh, on the supervision side and on the production operator side. Um, this is a very high tenured workforce. Uh, people with a lot of pride in what they did, mm -hmm. and and they were uh, they were struggling, mm. and and so uh, we would talk about well what how if the if the idea is to see problems which is uh, which is one of the the, the basic elements mm -hmm. of the Toyota production system, and that is it's it's not about um, eliminating waste. It's about seeing waste, mm -hmm. see the problem, and then do and understand the cause of the problem, and then do something about it. Right. So um, it was difficult for them, understandably, to see um, at a at a glance how's this process working? What is the process here? The question Merrick would ask: What is the process? What is the process? Mm -hmm. And and in a this is collaborative trial and error work. What if we um, we understand we understand tack time? That was part of the the foundation of the designs. Mm -hmm. So if we understand tack tack time, then it should be easy to understand um, what's expected versus what actually happened. So how can we show actual versus expected? Mm -hmm. And that you know we had flip chart stands and flip charts, and so how many? How many pieces are supposed to be completed in this period of time, and how many were actually completed? And when actual did not meet expected, that meant that something um, had happened that uh, contradicted the expectations. That was a problem. That was a miss. Mm -hmm. Let's go understand what the problem is. And some of the problems were very straightforward. My habit as a you know twenty-three year supervisor is never run out of parts. Uh, my habit is if you need something, pull somebody off the line and, and, and send her off to find it. Uh, and those, you know, those kinds of behaviors immediately cut the legs out from under the balanced cadence of production. That's right. So we'd, uh, so we talk about that and, uh, we, you know, draw up, I'd, you know, I, I would scribble on, on a, on a notebook page that I was carrying and, um, ask the supervisor if that if that made sense to her. Um, you know what would something like that look like, and uh, the next time I saw it, so I'll see you next week. The next time I'd come out, there would be um, a version of something that that appears in creating a lean culture, a mm -hmm. production tracking chart, hour by hour or cycle by cycle. Or tact was too fast for that, but mm -hmm. but. That same idea, capturing are we following the cadence or are we not following the cadence? Uh, and that that gave the uh, the people on the floor, everybody on the floor, a chance to see how is the process working here? And if it isn't, then let's capture what the what happened and write the what happened um, on. Uh, uh, we ended up doing it on um Post-it notes, a, mm -hmm. a great technology for this kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. The kind of technology that was easy for me to master. Right? Yes. <laughs> and um, so you, we get the idea of, as that in various places around the company, these accountability boards started showing up. Mm -hmm. 
some of my colleagues had had experience with that in other places where they had worked um, and said, oh, well, hey, we can apply that here. And those those tools we discovered and are are the people we were working with, the operators and the uh, and the supervisors, discovered that these were valuable for them. And then as you as you go up the organizational levels, it becomes very easy when you're color coding things red and green mm-hmm. uh, for uh, a production superintendent, a plant manager, um, an executive even uh, can can walk the floor, look at, at all this visual stuff, and be able to tell there's a problem here, and then go to a different board and see um, is the problem being worked on, uh, and and uh, who's responsible for working on it, right. and how is it coming? So it 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 evolved um, over a period of time, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be in a position to see that happening. Sure, and you know my my uh, I have academic training mm-hmm. uh, and. Academics are supposed to publish stuff, which uh, this was sort of my version of publishing. Yeah, I, I do, you know, uh, presentations for the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend as an organization, uh, and um, and and elsewhere, uh, and uh, eventually thought, hey, I can, you know, I can turn this into a book. I right, can write right. A book, and it's worth and it's and it's worth writing a book. Absolutely. I, no, so, I, and I love it. I love your book. Uh, as, I've, as I've already mentioned, the, the, the question that I have is you talked about some of the tools and different things that you were uh, implementing out on the production floor, but you also talked about when the Toyota experts left and things kind of started to slide back. Over time, eventually you found the, the concepts and the techniques that were necessary in order to sustain those uh, improvements can you talk to us about, you know, what were those behaviors specifically or those practices that were necessary in order to, you know, instill that that lean management system into the, the organization? The work, uh, this was, and I, it, you know, this is not me, you know, sure. the, you know the Swami. This is collaboration um, with, with lots of people, industrial engineers that had responsibility for, you know, making this thing work and production supervisors who were responsible for producing what they were supposed to produce, um, as well as production operators who had an opportunity. Uh, This is interesting, I think. People in management positions have um, a fair amount of discretion to define something that's a problem worth working on. Mm. If you're a a production operator uh, in an assembly cell, up to that point, you you had no discretion to identify something that needed working on. Now, if there was something that was causing you a problem in getting parts A, B, and C um, to go together with the ease that they were designed to go together with, that's a, that's a problem for you. It's also a problem for the organization. It's a problem that's worth working on. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of that kind of sharing of uh, responsibility at some levels for finding problems and making improvements, eliminating frustrations, uh, that, had a, that had a great deal to do with it. Sure. So there, we'd have these trial and error kinds of things. Well, what if you made a chart like this, scribble, 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 scribble? Um, do you think that would work? Well, yes, that, that, that's a possibility. I'd give that a try. Mm-hmm. So, okay, 
see you next week and, and let's see what let's see how that works. And people would go through the, you know, supervisors, team leaders, they'd go through their own iterations of um, versions of these visual controls. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an immediately apparent system. It's not complicated because you can tell at a glance now the answer to Merrick's question, what is the process here? How is it working? Mm-hmm. And those those misses show up. It's it's uh, initially it's countercultural in that you're not supposed to uh, you're not supposed to bring problems up. You're just supposed to make it run. Like David, don't tell me what the problem is. Just ship it. Hmm. Just just make it run. And now it was um, what are the what are the problems that are coming up? Who's working on them? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the steps? How's it going? So a very different approach that is more about sort of lifting up the hood sure. of these um, finely tuned production processes and seeing where the where the misses were coming from and then doing something about them. Right. So the tools sort of created themselves in making it uh, more directly visible. What's the process? How's it working? Where are the problems? How are we doing on the problems? And so this is a, this is a sort of a crude form of documentation. Mm-hmm. But if you save all those post-it notes about what the problems are, um, which in, in some places happened, mm-hmm. um, you also have the history sure. of how did how did we get to this point? Have we seen this problem before? What did we do about it? Right. It sounds like it was just a, a total mind shift from where you, how you were thinking before to how you needed to think going forward. And, uh, and, and even the, the tools that were developed, you know, over time were a process of learning, of trial and just PDCA cycles, you know, of just different, let's try this. Okay. Let's tweak it. Let's adjust. Let's go to this. Let's try this one. And then over time, you know, again, as you said, that the mindset, the mindset just shifted to the point where the team was uh, understood that they need just needed to continue learning and improving. And as you say, you know, making those problems visible uh, so that they could actually take action on them, go after them. Exactly. We, we sort of get it's really TPS means it's a thinking production system. Right, right. <laughs> you thinking about it. And the, um, the something that, that I think is important and gratifying is that uh, the, the people actually doing the work, the people who experience the problems by being given a, a voice, uh, by being listened to, mm. uh, and they're also participating in, in not just in improving the process, but improving um, the work that they do. Uh, and eliminating the sources of irritation, frustration, and delay that uh, that make the shift seem like it lasts forever. Mm. So it, it was. Uh, uh, I, I think it did a lot for the sort of the the um, the sense that we're we're uh, to a greater degree um, we're in this together. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, that's also where the buy-in came from too, from the team members as they started to see problems eliminated which those problems were probably creating headaches for them and, and roadblocks for them to be able to do their job, which then created frustrations. And so obviously they saw that, you know, this, this new form of thinking, this new mindset shift would, would help them to have a, just have a better day, you know, at the end of their day. I have one of the things that, one of the, I, I guess a question, sort of an orienting question for me is mm-hmm. what would, 
um, if there's if there's a reason to do these things, to use these tools, to operate in this way, the question that anybody would have, sort of in a thought bubble, mm-hmm. okay, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. And what's in it for me is, oh, this is a better day at work. That's it's right. a better day at work for the operator. It's a better day at work for the team leader. It's a better day at work for the supervisor. It's a better day at work for the superintendent and, and all the way up the line. Right. Um, it's, it's eliminating, it's focusing on identifying, working at reducing and eliminating problems. And everybody, everybody has problems. Absolutely. And now the problems uh, were, were much more, were much more in the foreground. They weren't being suppressed. Uh, you know, shut up and do your work. That, that it, it, it's a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, subtle, but in terms of, you know, how do I feel about what I'm doing? You know, nine hours a day, big change. Absolutely. So David, uh, have you seen the elements of lean management applied widely, obviously within Steelcase uh, and around, you know, the surrounding area you You've witnessed it. You've experienced it. But what about outside of that? I mean, what where have you seen the elements of lean management applied uh, outside of Steelcase? Really, all over the place. Mm. So, from underground mining mm. to uh, process industries, refining, aerospace defense, overhaul depots, electronic manufacturing. You know, the pick and place machines, mm-hmm. things that you wouldn't that you wouldn't think would lend themselves to this kind of, you know, very, uh, I mean, crew. We're talking about post-it notes here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, the people want to put them on Excel, which gives me a little heartburn. But as long as you can see it, mm-hmm. building uh, airliners, building or overhauling military aircraft in the uh, biopharmaceutical industry, sure. in, in uh, insurance claim processing, just uh, any place you can imagine, because if you if you think about it, th- these are not they're not technical tools that work only in a technical environment. Mm-hmm. These are tools that that recognize that we all have problems, and some of those problems are problems at work. and And I would uh, and and I would experience a better day at work if I had the chance. Um, to identify a problem and, and maybe help resolve it, uh, I'm going to like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if I like it, I'm going to support it. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to be, uh, you know, resistant. You know why? You know why? Uh, why do people resist change? Because there's nothing in it for them. Mm-hmm. If the if the people doing the work are part of the change, um, and that and that they benefit from it. Um, and it's a, it's, you know, I don't want to get too exotic here, but it's a, it's a psychic benefit. It's an emotional benefit. Think sure. about it that, oh, the problem that I used to complain to my family about at dinner every day, I come home once and say, you know, that thing that I complain about all the time. Oh, do we ever, I don't, I don't want to hear about that again. <laughs> well, we drove a stake through its heart today. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's never coming back. That's a, if, if you can, this is. So, so, so lean, broadly speaking, benefits from a uh, from the perspective that we're working on enlisting people's hearts and minds. We mm-hmm. definitely want their minds, um, but we also we also want want their hearts. We want them to have an emotional reaction to what they're doing mm-hmm. that is more positive than it was before. 
And yes. when you talk about engaging a workforce, um, when you can do that broadly, that that is a very difficult to duplicate competitive advantage. Absolutely. And, and that's what you see in, in uh, well-functioning lean organizations. You know, you can send an industrial spy to see what are their, you know, what are they doing? What's the what's the technology? What do we need to get? This is something completely different. It's qualitatively different, mm. um, and it shows up in in uh, in consistently improving quantitative results. Yes, yes, it does. So, what would you say? You know, everything we've talked about uh, today. What would you say would be the one most important piece in sustaining a lean culture uh, and applying lean practices? Uh, obviously, we've talked about multiple things to help with sustainment. But what, what would you say would be the, the the most important in sustainment of lean culture and applied lean applying lean practices? Uh, that it's a simple answer. It's uh, and it and it and it's true. It's not just in in what you and I are talking about, but broadly, it's a, just a matter of being consistent. Mm. So that's easy to say, but mm-hmm. it's hard to do. That's right. So there's so there's consistency built into the the management system process, and that that consistency shows up as leader standard work. Yes, a, a good example of of leader standard work would be, first of all, is leader standard work that the leader herself produces mm-hmm. and that he or she carries around with them um, every day. I was talking to a team leader um, in, uh, in an assembly area who uh, had, uh, uh, she had written her own um, leader standard work as, as part of this initiative in, mm-hmm. in her plan. Uh, and I asked her how it how it was going? What did you know? What did she think of this leader standard work that she produced herself? And she uh, uh, she said, you know, I used to get pulled off my uh, uh, my position all the time to you know run here, run there, do this or do that. Uh, and now, and she held up she held up her hand, holding her uh, her her standard work uh, document. Mm-hmm. She said, now this is like a stop sign that a crossing guard says, mm-hmm. I've got to follow my standard work. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't go do that for you because I've got these responsibilities and I need to make sure that I'm following them. That's right. So uh, it's uh, one of the paradoxes of lean is that it requires consistency that's process-based consistency, um, but that consistency depends on humans paying attention to it. So so the, the team leader with her, with her uh, standard work that she was really focused on um, is the consistency at her level. If you go up a level, so she's a team leader, her supervisor has standard work that includes um, at least a cursory review on, a, on an occasional basis, and the frequency depends on what makes sense in the area. Mm-hmm. A cursory review that what was supposed to happen in the, in the team leader standard work in fact, is happening mm-hmm. that the process looks stable, and that so that so you've got a process dependency from the lowest level all the way up to the top, and that process dependency um, relies on on people. Yes, that if the if the people or person at the top um, doesn't support it, that that those that that process is is going to wither all the way down to the root, all the way down to as low as you can go. That's right. So it's a it's a, a discipline that really needs to permeate an entire organization. It doesn't have to be as structured all the way, all the way to the, you know, to the, to the top, mm-hmm. but there needs to be support for it. And the best support is occasionally 
um, the person at the top um, who uh, who may never have worked in a factory before mm-hmm. uh, or in a mine or um, in an ER or in a uh, you know in a in a clinical lab that that they know to look for um, again this is like Merrick Piatkowski mm-hmm. and his advice they need to look for and see evidence that a there's a process b the process is being followed and c um, following the process is is identifying issues that can result in improvement if they're followed up that's right so it's um uh it's you know every everybody's got to play mm-hmm. um, some people you know play full-time and some people are more on a um, on a drop-in basis um, and the one of the one of the benefits that is unexpected is that the the visual nature of the lean management system makes it very very easy to learn so you don't need to be a technical person you don't have to um, have the mathematical skills to figure out the kanban replenishment qualities for the shared resource etc cetera, etc cetera. you can walk through an area look at the visuals and tell and tell that things are working here or that things aren't working here and you can ask the people um, in that area to explain the visuals to you and if if they're um, if they can tell you stories about how they've helped, you can feel confident. If I'm, uh, you know, a senior leader, you can feel confident that the lean strategy that you've invested in is being followed all the way, all the way down um, to the to the production floor level. Whether it's a call center, a limestone mine, an oil refinery, all in any place. And if you see the uh, so if uh, uh, and. Uh, senior leaders are, you know, they're, they didn't, they're, they're smart people. Mm-hmm. They tend to be intuitive mm-hmm. um, and they can, they can learn what a good visual control looks like in a, in about, I don't know, a day or an hour or a, a gimbal walk with the coach for them, people like you and me who are coaching up so that the, so that the, the higher level people can see for themselves at the at, at any level of the organization is our lean strategy being followed is it producing improvement right and if it isn't then they can ask people like you and me where should i look for the weak link in the chain mm-hmm. and they can go there and in a socially appropriate way they can reinforce what uh, what what improved practice would look like absolutely so it's uh, it, it's simplicity makes it um, widely accessible and, and easy to uh, easy to understand. Yes, and I agree completely with that. Uh, that you know, sometimes we tend to uh, make things so complex that they're just hard to follow, or they fall apart because of the complexity. And really, we need to we need to think about the simplicity of you know just exactly what you're talking about. How do we make things visual? Uh, just a, a simple chart or a color coding, or you know, what are different ways that we can help make these problems visible? So very much appreciate the. The comments around that and David this has been this has been a great conversation uh, love having you on I'm curious if, for those that are listening that are uh, interested in in going out and grabbing your book creating a lean culture uh, is it is it out on Amazon or, or where can they find that Amazon is probably the easiest it's available in a bunch of translations if you go to my website demanlean.com I think okay we can drop that in the uh, in the show notes too so people have the link to your website good. Great. If you if um, there's a uh, 
on the resources page. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a, um, a button for translations. If you click on that, you know, you'll get the, the foreign language publishers and their contact information. Oh, that's great. And I actually, uh, I prefer audio and your book is also on audio. And as I as I mentioned earlier, I've uh, shared it out multiple times to, to different people. Uh, and I've listened to it myself multiple times. So uh, I appreciate the fact that it is offered in different languages, audio. Uh, and and uh, obviously, again, you can get it on Amazon. We'll drop the, the link in the show notes as well as uh, to your website too. So yeah, David, it's been great to have you on. I appreciate the conversation. I, I feel like we could talk about these these concepts all day long, uh, but we have, to, we have to wrap things up here. All right, Patrick, thanks a lot for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All right, take care, David. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.